0: That we're going to be in the book of Galatians, chapter 4. Uh, those of you may remember last week, Paul was uh, continuing to build his case in uh, and, and, and this argument of the law versus grace. And, and as he continued to build his case tonight, he kind of picks up with that argument last week, if you remember. Uh, his last argument was a logical argument. And so tonight, he kind of picks up in chapter 4, with that logical argument about uh, why grace is, uh, uh, is, is taking the place of the law. And, and he tried to give them some another logical example that they can wrap their mind around uh, as he continued to build his case. And again, keep in mind, now, uh, you've got to keep the perspective here. This is a church that Paul really labored for. This is a church that he really, you know, went all out uh, when he presented the gospel to them. We're going to find out tonight that even he was sick when he was there with them. And he labored hard with them, and it really was, was starting to hurt him, the fact that a church that he had labored so hard for and had struggled with was now falling away and, and on the verge of falling away. So what you're going to see if you pay close attention tonight as we go through this, his tone and tenor kind of changed with him a little bit, and, and I attribute that to the fact that he was writing them a letter and he was not in person with them. And so he put some emphasis on some things and say some, some things in, in very strong language in order to let them know how serious he was and, and how concerned he was about them falling away. And, and again, we're going to see that it, 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 it can really hurt you when it looks like you've invested a lot of time and energy and effort into something, and all of a sudden you look back at your labor and it looks like it was all in vain. And if you could imagine what a farmer would feel like after he went out and plowed a field and planted and sowed and water, and then all of a sudden he'd look out and there's no harvest. You know, he's going to do anything he can to try. What do I need to do to try to save this harvest? You know, and, and, and so that's what Paul was trying to do. He says he's going to try to save this harvest because he don't want his labor and his efforts and his work to be in vain. So that's kind of the mindset I want to get you in as we go to chapter 4 of the book of Galatians, he says, by him opening up with this word, think of it this way, it it lets us know that he's talking about something that he was already explaining. He said, I gave you an example at the end of the last chapter, if you go back and read that. Then he says, now, think of it this way, trying to make it plain. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are no much better off than slaves. Until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. So he said, now look, think about it. Think about an inheritance. And when you hear the word inheritance, what that mean to you? What do you think about when you hear the word inheritance? Something that was left for somebody. That's right. You know, and normally, you know, when we leave things to people as an inheritance, the most valuable thing is land and valuable possessions and houses, things like that to have that don't lose value. And so what he's saying is, hey, now, if you got a young child and something happened to you, and you are leaving your child 100 acres with you know, all this inheritance, with you know, a nice house on it, all that land, and then you got wealth on the side, you wouldn't expect a young child to know how to manage that and take care of it. And so what he was saying now is that, hey, it's like this, 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 this young baby, that was left, needed someone to manage it until it becomes of age. And so what he was trying to get them to see, until the children grew up, the law was there to kind of help them see the way, to keep them in line and tell them what they could and could not do. But then at the appointed time when the fathers say they're grown, then now they get access to the inheritance. And I don't know about you, but I remember when we used to work with the, what they call guardian at litem. You know, when young kids, uh, parents, something happened to them, and then now they get in the system, there's someone out there that's called a guardian at light them, that take those children and they become their legal advisor. They look out for them. If there's something those kids are supposed to get, and they look out for them until those kids either get award- awarded to somebody else or until they become of age so they can make decisions for themselves. And so what he's saying here is that the law was like a guardian. It was looking out for them until they came of age. And when the father determined that they have come of age, it was up to him to determine that. Then now, what was in place was no longer needed. It did making make sense? So that's what he's trying to get them to see. He says, now look. He says, now, they have to obey their guardian until they reach whatever age their father set. So he said, in that state, that child is no better than a slave. Because now they are subject to the guardian. But when the fathers say at 21 or 18 or whatever they've grown, then now everything that they had that was already theirs, now they can say what they want to do with it. But they don't no longer need a guardian to tell them, hey, don't waste all your daddy's money or your mama's money. Don't Don't waste everything they left you. Don't abuse it. You know, because the guardian probably telling them, hey, one day you're going to walk into this. And when you walk into it, you need to be prepared so that you don't just throw it away. Because if not, you'll just abuse it and not realize what you got. And see, that's why it's important for us, those of us who got children, man. You know, if you're young, you ought, to be, you ought to be setting up something so that when we leave here, we leave our children something other than a funeral bill. Amen. I mean, and, and for those of us who don't have the money to go out there and own a thousand acres of land and all that, you ought to have a, while you're young, you ought to have a decent insurance policy. Something to cover you just in case something happens. And, and, and that insurance policy ought to be able to cover your children so they can live at least five or six years or ten years after you go and don't have to work one bit. So if your income is X number of thousand dollars a year, then you ought to go 10 times that and say, if something happened to me, my kids are covered for at least 10 years. And when you get that while you're young, it's cheaper than when you get old. But if you can own land and housing, you got all that, then they gonna hold, it's going to hold its value for the most part. But, but what we got to learn to do is that as in the natural, we ought to want to try to leave something for our children. I mean, something that they can inherit, something that they can hold on to other than a car that ain't worth what it was worth when you paid for. And definitely if you still got a note on it. I think sometimes we value the wrong thing, and we put our value on things that depreciate instead of things that appreciate. And they the difference. So, so what we got to learn is that there are things that we can invest in in life that normally go up in value instead of losing value as soon as you drive off the lot with it. And so what he said is that, hey, now when these kids come of age, that guardian is there to protect them until they reach the age that their father said. So God is the one that said this. We had nothing to do with it. It's God's plan. All we got to do is buy into it and accept it. So if he said that grace is going to be the way and Jesus Christ is going to be the way that we obtain salvation by our faith in him, then that's his plan. And if he said, I'm going to wait till my son come, hang, bleed, and die for these folks until I implement this new plan, then we can't argue with that. But, but if we don't accept this plan, then we will want to hold on to the old system. And that's what was happening. It was trying to hold on to the old system when the father had said the new system is now of age. Y'all have come of age. It is time for us to cut over to this new covenant. Is this making sense so far? He says, now look, verse 3, elementary things. He says, and that's the way it is with us before Christ came. Before he came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. Now, that, this world there is not necessarily talking about the world that we live in. He's talking about the system that they were brought up under. You were the slave to the system that was in place. And that system was the Mosaic law. And, and, and what they didn't understand and what he's going to say to them later is that you guys have gotten wrapped around the axle on one or two aspects of the law and not focus on the whole five books. And I challenge some of you, you know, just go through and thumb through the first five books of the Bible. They call it Pentateuch because that's what the Jews consider the law. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Num- Numbers, and Deuteronomy, first five books. In there, you're going to find all of God's prescribed laws and some that the Jews even added to. And so he said, now, y'all hung up on this thing called circumcision and whether or not we, you know, you got to be saved through our works instead of going back and say, man, there's a lot more to the law than just circumcision. If that was the only law you was concerned about, then we'd be okay. But now he said, if you don't keep one law, you might as well violate them all. So they were saying, hey, we're going to fulfill the law of circumcision. We're going to do the little r- ritual, the rites that we're supposed to do. But all these other laws that he got out there, we may or may not keep them. And so, he, so what they didn't understand was the magnitude of what they were under. And so therefore, now that they have accepted Christ, they were being pulled back into something that they didn't really fully understand when they, was being, when they came out of it. Because remember now, All of these people did not come out of Judaism. Some of these people didn't know nothing about the law. They just got somebody told them that in order to be saved, you need to practice this part of the law. But for some Jews, they probably knew more aspects of the law. And so what he was saying, you want to go back to these these basic spiritual principles of the law. And then look at this. He says, verse 4, in 5, he says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Now, what does that mean? Born, sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. What does that mean? Major, go ahead. You got a mic? Uh,
1: <clears throat> I interpret it as he came, he came as a human, and he was subject under the, the, the same laws that everybody else were as a human.
0: Amen. In other words, when Jesus came in the flesh because the law was still in place, he lived in accord with the law. He was circumcised on the eighth day. You know, all the rituals. They went back to the annual time in the temple with the little boy. They took him back. You know, he, he got left there with the rabbis and they wondered what happened to him. So they used to observe all those rituals. They used to observe all those ceremonies and holidays. Because he was under the law. He came to fulfill the law so that we wouldn't have to try to do all that. But Being that he was
1: deity, Pastor, why did he have to do that? Why did he have to come as a human? He couldn't
0: have... You know, that's something that goes back to God's design. Man needed to be able to see God and and, and through a human that they could, something they could recognize. So therefore when Jesus comes as deity, he's come in flesh, but he's representing God. So therefore the God that they could never see, then now they can see his attributes through Jesus. And so he became a a visible representation of God in the earth. And so therefore that's why it was important in, in that role, he could not sin. Because if he sinned, and now, you know, he will be violating the very law that he came to Amen. fulfill. So he says, now he was subject to the law, and God sent him to buy freedom for, up, for, for us, who were slaves to the law, so that we could, so that he could adopt us. Somebody say adopt. adopt, adopt us as his very own children. Paul is one of the few writers that talks about this concept or this spirit of adoption again, because he's talking to a predominantly Gentile audience, he's re- revealing to them that even though you are not natural-born Jews, you are still in God's family by the spirit of adoption, and you, by the spirit also, you're Abraham's seed. We learned that last week. Yeah. You know, e- even though we are not Hebrews, but because of the lineage coming through Jesus Christ being Abraham's seed, we accept Jesus by faith then that brings us in line with the same promises that God made to Abraham. Okay? And, and, so, and so what he's saying now, he says, now because we know that God sent him to buy our freedom so that we would be no longer slaves to the law, so that we could adopt, he could adopt us as very own children. Look at verse 6, he says, now look at this, the, the, our true relationship. And because we are children, somebody said children, That's important. you got to see yourself (laughs) as a child of God. Because if you don't have that type of relationship with him, then you're not going to live in accordance with the privileges. And so it's important that you know that, hey, I don't care what folks say, I'm a child of God. Because he says, and because we are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call him Abba, Father. That's just another way of saying Father, Father. One in Aramaic... Language and then the other father, praetor, is in the Greek. So it's a term of endearment. You know, like a, in a lot of languages, when you listen to people speak other languages, other parts of the world, especially, they use turn, baba, baba. And that's their way of saying, like we would say, father, father. They say, baba, kind of taken from this, abba, father. You know, and so he's saying now, if you understand this, you have a right to call out to God. As if he is, you realize that he is your father. You know, and and because you have been brought into the family, you are now in the same position and heirs to the same promise that he made to Abraham. So so when we don't know that relationship, then sometime we can live below our privileges. It's important for you to know who you are in the Lord so that you will be prompted by the Spirit to cry out to the Father. You have a right to cry out to God. You don't need somebody else to help you get through to God. You can cry out to God on your own. It's all right to have a partner, a prayer partner if you want one. Someone can intercede for you. But man, God didn't put you in a position that you got to go through somebody else to get to him. So when you know that, yes, I want people praying for me. Yes, I want people, you know, there for me when I'm going through something. But at the same time, I got to realize... I have the same rights and privileges that anybody else has to go to God on my own. I can come boldly before the throne of grace Amen. that I can obtain mercy in time of trouble or need. So, so if you can't find Major, you can't find Pastor Boulder, man, you've got to know how to talk to God for yourself. And, and, and the beauty of that is is that you don't have to try to imitate anybody else. You don't have to try to quote him back every scripture in the Bible. Just talk to him like you're talking to your father. In the language that you know and understand, Amen. just talk to him. And in and, 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 and doing that, all you got to remember is some basic principles. Hey, give him the respect that he's due when you talk to him. Don't disrespect him in your conversation. Honor him, reverence him, put him first up there, you know. Then, you know, if you did something wrong, don't go to him and start begging before you at least say, God, you know. I did so wrong because sometimes we skip over our wrong and go right to what we want. And and, and sometimes we can do that without even acknowledging him who he is and giving him his props. So so God expects that from us. In return, then now we get to the part where we can make our request known unto him. But sometimes we get so caught up and we start with our request and we forget that we don't give him the respect that he's due. Because now, look, he says, now look, Say so you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are God's child, God has made you His heir. Wow, that's key right there. That means that if I'm an heir, whatever He got for property, I don't care how many children He got. Part of it belongs to me. That's right. Man, that's, I'm learning that the hard right now. Man, <laughs> dealing with dealing with this in the natural, it, it don't make no difference how much. <laughs> Stuff my daddy had. I have a sister, and she done passed too, but she got a child. And whatever my daddy had belongs to her child too. I can't just exclude her. Well, you know your mama gone now, so therefore I was the only one left, dog. No. Don't work like that. And so if it was ten of us, we'd be trying to find all ten of us because could no decision be made until all ten have been notified. goes to her children automatically? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. If, 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 the, if the children are named in the will and then one of them pass and the will don't get rewritten, exactly. Their children now becomes their part. So if it's if five kids, one-fifth of what they have will belong to that, that, that deceased child's children. If they had five children, they got to find all five of them to get their part. That's where the cumbersome part come in because a lot of time we don't keep good records. Had not seen Uncle Bobo in years and trying to find them, it can be it can be complicated. And sometimes them them family members that get impatient, they'll cut the line and you know, <laughs> and go ahead and get that thing settled. Do you find out about it later? They don't sold daddy land. Well, they 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 put it in the paper for six months. They did all the things that were required legally. You didn't respond to a certified letter that they sent to where they thought you were living? And then now all of a sudden, you decide you're going to show up at the family reunion and find out the land ain't ours no more. Why, why? We sold the land two years ago. Man, that's, that's, that's family feud time right there. So, so, so what he's saying here is that, man, this air thing is important, not just in the spirit, but it's important in the natural. You know, especially if you got children or you're part of a large family, and your parents got something, man, that needs to be clarified. So that while the mom or dad is living, when they can decide what they want to do, when you come of age, they can do that. And so without that, then that's why our stuff gets so tied up in probate a lot of times, because we don't have clear instructions, and then now the system got to settle it all instead of following the instruction that was given. So that's a good lesson there because, again, he's trying to remind them, think of it this way, trying to show them how important it is for them to understand that they are not under the law but under grace. So now he's now getting to verse 8. He starts picks up talking about his concern for them. He says, now look, in verse 8, he says, Before you Gentiles knew God, you know, the Jews already had a knowledge of God. But the Gentiles didn't have that light, didn't have that revelation. So he says, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slave to so-called gods that don't even exist. Y'all was worshiping something. <laughs> but what y'all was worshiping don't even exist. Somebody just told you that. That's, right. That's a god up there on the hill. And you've been going to bow down to it because it's a volcano just erupted.
2: Um, I just want to make, I'm just asking the question, mm-hmm. since we are talking about the law, mm-hmm. and when, when Jesus, when Jesus came and as our Savior, he also do my commandments, mm-hmm. follow my commandments, isn't it commandments, a law?
0: In a sense, yes. So he, but the, the law here, now the context here is not just talking about the, the thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. It is talking about all the other ceremonial laws. And things. Jesus didn't do none of those. He said, I'm going to just cut it down to two. Love the Lord, that God with all that heart, spirit, soul, mind, and body. He took care of all the things that pertain to how we interact with one another, and in that way, it also covers a lot of the things that was in the law. But He didn't go into all of the, you know, the the rituals that they had added to the law. And He's going to talk about this in a few minutes. We start talking about the, the various Sabbaths, the new moon, and all that stuff that they brought into the mix. We,
2: okay, I, I, there is a difference between. There's different laws. There's the, the moral law, moral law, there's Ten the civil law. The, 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 the civil law. I understand the civil law. That's pretty much where um, Israel was guided by, by for them to how to operate in, as a nation. That's the civil law, and because. that's what we and that's what we're not under because we that was given unto Israel, not unto, not unto the Gentile. I understand that, Pastor, but and also there is also a ceremonial law. But I'm just saying that sometimes when I hear, I'm just getting more clarification. So we're not under we're under grace, but also grace is helping us to understand about the, the commandments that God's given unto us, and it is also a law. And I I'm, I think we are still govern under the, the moral law, but. Sometimes, you know, I uh, get confusion sometimes, Pastor, when someone said, we're not under the law. But, well, there is a commandment. There is a law. Yes. But, and there is a difference. That, and I think that sometimes people say we're not under, under the law, but we're under grace. But you got to remember, yes, we have grace, but there is also a commandment. There is a law that we still have to obey because uh, I, I mentioned... To, uh, but when, in, when, when Solomon said, one thing you have to remember, fear the Lord and obey the commandments. And when you say obey the commandments, that is a law. That's, Amen. Uh, and,
0: and, and, that's, and, and, and I think when we look at this in the context, we're just talking about those aspects of the law that they connected to salvation. Was, the biggest part of this was circumcision. Do we need to be circumcised because the law say we need to be circumcised? Then he go from there to the aspect of, because they saw that as a law that God gave that had something to do with their relationship with him to the point that that covenant could not be broken. And so that aspect, they say, okay, you got to be circumcised. Then as a result of that, like you say, that there were ceremonial laws or laws that, that they followed when it comes to high days and worship days and how they worship. All that was covered under the Mosaic law, the first five, but the Ten Commandments, I guess, as you would say, would be considered the moral laws that thou shalt not kill, steal, covet the neighbor wife, and any other of those things that were considered law. And Jesus said, when he came, as you agree, that I give you two. And if you do these two, then you will fulfill all the law and the prophets. So I think when we, we hear people say we are not under the law, that means that we are not out there, in my way of looking at it, I'm not out there sacrificing goats and lambs. I'm not out there saying you gotta be circumcised to be saved. I'm not out there saying, okay, if you gotta cut off your arm in order to, you know, be punished for stealing. Cause that was in the law too.
2: Civil law. That was that's a civil law. The only reason I say that, Pastor, because sometimes I when you, when you say that, and some people take it for literally, like, hey, I don't have to do, I don't have to do the Kim amendments because I'm of the greats. But they have to understand there is a law that you still have to obey, but then there is a difference. What we are trying to establish here in the sense that there is civil law that we are discussing right now, and like you said, it's, you know, uh, 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 circumcision
1: mm-hmm.
2: that we're not, uh, not under. That was only given unto a covenant to Abraham and to Israel to follow after him. And that was Israel, not under anything after Gentile. I understand it. But I'm just saying sometimes people get that confused. That's why I was just wanted to say that. Absolutely. Okay. But but these people still
0: wanted everybody to follow that. They wanted them to be circumcised. I mean they saw that as more than just, you know, they, they saw that, hey, look, this has got something to do with your salvation. And if you don't get it done, then we're not looking at you. That's why the Jews persecuted them, followed them. So it was just the circumcision was the main one. But there was also some dietary things that they felt like, hey, they couldn't eat certain things. And, and then all of a sudden now, that's why the Corinthian children arguing back and forth who eat meat, who don't eat meat, and what was sacrificed to idols versus this. And Paul came in, just like he's telling them here, this is where you find this thread through the Bible. He said, look, you guys have been worshiping something that don't exist. So in Paul's mind, when they went to the marketplace and offered up a dove or whatever, and he said, look, whatever they offered up to whoever they offered up to don't even exist. So when I go there, in fact, they did that. When I buy that dove, I'm going to bring that dove home, and I'm going to bless it, and it's going to be fine. Because in my mind, what they offered it up to don't exist. But in some of the weaker-minded ones, he says, oh, you got conscience there. If you feel like that, then don't you eat the dove. You leave it alone. But if I eat it, don't come against me for eating the dove if I bless it. And so, so what we see here is when we look at the, the things that were coming out, and Brother Herb made a good point, a lot of these, these guys were coming out of paganism, There was a lot of things that they did in paganism, not just what the Jews wanted to bring them, but there was a lot of paganistic things that the Gentiles wanted to bring over into Christianity. So we talk about it and focus on what the Jews were trying to bring over, but, you know, the pagans, you know, brought some stuff over too. And some of the things that the pagans brought over, we made religious holidays out of them. And we, and we separate, you know. We, we, we look past that, but, you know, Easter as we know it is a pagan, it came from paganism. Okay? And to, to tie it to Passover. They said, okay, they was doing this and that Passover, we like that Passover thing, but we ain't Jews, so we ain't gonna do Passover. So they found the passage. One Passover was mentioned in the Bible one time. His story was a, a pagan god. A fertility god. That's why the bunny represented. So, so there are things that because of traditions that came along with the conversion, if all those things wasn't left out, some of them were... Uh, brought in to match up with the seasons and then we put Christian holidays around like Christmas, the time we're in right now coincide with the winter equinox in, 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 in December the 21st and so because that was something that the pagans looked at when the Christians got to say hey well, let's come up with uh, something to counter that and we're going to call it Christ's birthday and we're going to celebrate his birthday and we've been doing that ever since. So we celebrate his birthday. But when you trace it back to actual time and, and, and what it lines up with, it's a good possibility Jesus wasn't born in December. Good possibility. Because of all the characteristics, what the Bible said was going on when he was born. Those things didn't happen in December like that. But it ain't something I'm going to fight. It ain't got nothing. I, whether we say December or whether we say September, it's Jesus. It ain't something that I think our salvation hinge on. That ain't like saying, hey, look here, you know, Major, if you don't see December 25th, Christmas, Jesus' birthday, that'll be like me telling you, you know what? Now you ain't going to be saved. Because that was his birthday. And that'd be making that day that we have put there more important than the things of the Bible, that, that define how we get salvation. Salvation is not based on us trying to keep good works or do good things. It's based on our faith in something has already been done for us.
2: Can you, can we say that now since we, uh, since Jesus came and um, uh, made it, he fulfilled the law, now this is a spiritual kingdom. And if you look at it as a spiritual kingdom, it don't look like the kingdom that, um, that Jesus came on, on, under uh, of, of Israel. It's different. The, the spiritual kingdom is different because we do call him our king. We do call him our Lord. And he someday come and reign under his law. And all we his people, and as we are his people, then we operate different in a different kingdom, and we look different. So we don't have the same laws of what that kingdom looked like, what Jesus had fulfilled. That's what I'm trying. To, that's what I'm trying to trying to picture is: are we under a different kingdom? And we are a spiritual kingdom, and we walk as spiritual children, and it got a different way of looking at uh, commandments, the way we operate ourselves differently than what it is like Israel was. And as you can say, I fulfilled it.
0: Well, for us, you know, when it comes to how we operate, our best example of operation is the word. He left us. That That's what we look at as the instruction, what he left us. You know, but his kingdom being established, you know, um, When he taught the Lord, he said, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So his will was for whatever that was in heaven. He wanted to see that down here on earth. But because man is still in the earth and because the ruler of the earth is still in existence, there's a hindrance to keeping that kingdom. You know, yes, we are kingdom people because we've come into his kingdom here on earth and got saved. But because we're here in the earth and we are saved and we are under his reign and rulership, that don't take us out of the realm of the earth that we live in. So we still have to deal with the, the realm that we live in, and that's why the, the Bible kind of depicts it by war. You're at war, you're at odds. There's an adversary out there who's coming against you because of that. Now, we, he, later on, he make a little allusion here to a new Jerusalem, and that's a Revelation-type thing we're going to talk about just briefly when he's talking about the Israel now who rejected Jesus is the old Jerusalem, but there's a new Jerusalem. And Revelation talks about that as this new Jerusalem being established. There's a lot of discussion on that, where is that, when, and all that. We can't do all that tonight in this particular chapter, but there is a lot of deep theological discussion out there of what do some of these things mean and how they relate to us in the time
2: that we live in. It. Well then it's given a concept and when it says to us we are as an ambassador. This is this is not where we at. We are an ambassador. And so we under since we still here, we operate as an ambassador. Amen. And that that that's to me that's more to explain it that we not under this world, we're in a different world. We walk different because now we are we got a different kingdom. And so as we had a different kingdom, we represented ourselves as an ambassador. Amen.
0: Amen. So, a- a- and so, our, so. we get our authority from heaven, and, and heaven, the closer relationship is the word. It reveals to us how God expects for us to act in the earth as we represent him as his children and through his spirit. So now what this debate here is that, you know, when, when Paul wrote this, and he started talking about these spiritual things. And he started talking about the, the Galatians and how, how concerned he was for them. He started to talk about these things that, that revealed to them that they was under law, that they were slaves to things that didn't even exist. In other words, when you study the, the Roman and the Greek system of gods and mythological gods, you'll find out that, not, and not even just them, but all you got to do is just Google and that's Syria to tell you to pull up the name of Roman gods, Greek gods, and Egyptian gods. And you'll find out that there are so many gods out there that these people worship. They especially ones coming out of paganism. They almost made a god out of everything. There was a god for the sea. There was a god for the sun. There was a god for the moon. And, 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 and all of these gods to them in their mind was real. And Paul was coming down and saying, now, hey, look here. You guys have been worshiping things that is not even real. And a lot of things that we use, and even in our language, it comes from Greek and Roman mythology. You know, we, we, we name certain things based upon what they were called in that. And so when you get all these people bringing all that stuff into it, then now we can say, Christians now, Major, you should never step foot in the Apollo. Never. Because the Apollo Theater is named after... A great God. But you say, I'm just going there to see a gospel artist. sake. Then now you'll be putting yourself in a box. And when you're saying, if I know that that God do not exist, it's just that somebody named this building the Apollo. Some of y'all drive cars that are named after God. Amen. Saturn, Jupiter, Mercury's, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and then What I'm trying to say: long as you ain't worshiping those things, people will—they existed. We went to school and we learned about this in, in, in literature. And, and so, what he said here is that look, because they didn't know the true God, they were worshiping gods that weren't even. Real. But if you don't know the truth, then what may not be true can be, appear to be real to you. That's why so many people are getting caught into these little rabbit holes out there online now. Because they don't know the truth and everybody's writing. And if you don't have a spirit to discern what is being written, it can sound so, so good. And then now you walk up with that and you ain't referencing. it. And I'm not saying some people do write some good stuff out there. You know, I don't chase it down and see. But every now and then people send me stuff. I say, yeah, that's good stuff. That, that, that makes sense. I can line that up with scripture. I can find where that could come from. But there are a lot of things people just making up and people are following it and then don't realize that, hey, I've been following error. And so what he's saying is that, look, you guys, when you, when you didn't know God, you guys were worshiping gods that did not even exist. Look at this, verse 9 and 10. He said, Look, so now that you know God, or should I say, know that God knows you, in other words, we don't introduce God to you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Again, of the system that you came out of. Why do you want to go back? Now that you have embraced and come into the knowledge of what you consider to be the truth, why would you let somebody talk you into going back to the world? Or to the the system that does not represent Jesus Christ. That does not represent God's grace and, and his mercy towards you. Why do you want to go back to that? And that's what he was trying to appeal to them now because he said, look, man, I labor for you guys. Hard. And now all of a sudden, you want to go back to things that you have been delivered from. Now, we look at this purely from a spiritual standpoint when it comes to their religious belief and all that. But this can be translated to sometimes to our natural behavior. God has delivered us from certain things that we were or did in the world. And then we get to the point where we find ourselves wanting to go back, back again to something that God done delivered us from. Get a mic, get a mic. And Aiden, did I miss your hand over there?
1: Cause to me, I'm thinking it would be similar to uh, when we were uh, delivered from slavery ourselves. I mean, back in the slavery days, mentally we weren't because some of the same behaviors that we had then, we still carry some of those same
0: behaviors. Mm-hmm. Amen, amen. amen. So, so, so freedom is a two-part transaction. You, you know, you can be free physically, but still be in bondage in your mind. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in bondage in your mind, you're going to carry yourself and act like a slave. Act like something that you are not because you don't know you're an heir. And as an heir, you're equal to all the other heirs. But, but because someone has told you and put it in your head and you've been engineered to believe that because of who you are based upon pigmentation that you are less than everybody else and inferior and that they've been put in folks' head long enough, you can start believing the lie.
1: So let's just say, you know, I've been a slave for 40 years of my life and then somebody came and told me, hey, you're, you know, you're free. I don't even know how to act as free. So how do you, I mean, because I've been this way so long, this is comfortable to me, and even though I'm not physically bound, I'm not locked up, in my mind, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act now. Somebody e- even who, though Even
0: though I've been told, hey, you're free. Act free. Well, I don't know how to act free because I haven't been free. And that's why somebody gotta try to teach you and you gotta make some adjustment habits changing habits and changing behavior, but that's the mindset change. But it's no different. I'm going to give you a good example. There are some people who have been in prison for 15, 20 years and all of a sudden they get out. And I've heard guys say, man, I don't know how to live outside. I don't know how to make that adjustment. I don't know how to make changes in my life. So guess what? It's easy for me to do something to go right back into what I I'm used to, what I'm familiar with. So it's no different. We come out of the world, if we don't make that adjustment, if we don't transform the way we think and put ourselves around new people and do some things right. differently, then it'll be easy for us to, the Bible says, you know, the pig will return to his own vomit. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you, you go back to familiarity. Right. Right. And that's why we have to, we have to be led by the spirit of God so that we are not pulled back into what we are familiar with, especially if what we are familiar with it's gonna take us back into bondage, but that's conditioning. That's taking the process of reconditioning the way you think by transforming your mind. That's good. Mind. Amen. So David Adrian then brother hear? Kid, do you want well, to say something too? Oh, okay. Go ahead.
3: I like the point that Major was making. Um, that's a physical example when you use somebody in prison, but I think it's the same way with us, spiritual. With the with your spiritual walk, right. you trying to you you lived one way for so long. Maybe you didn't know Christ or you didn't have that relationship. And then you come into a relationship with God, you may have accepted him and you may have said, hey, you know, I'm saved. But you still need to, to be taught certain things and to learn what the scripture means so that you can apply it to your life and live it out. And that's our pastor quoted what I was going to say. You know, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is a mind thing. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes. When you don't know what to do or you run up against something you don't know, you can say, hey, I'm saved or I accepted Christ, but still live the way you did and still do things or struggle with things that you did in the past.
0: Amen. Amen.
2: was I was, uh, was uh, informed about studying. Um, uh, and is getting an example that we're talking about the Firm Foundation. The Firm Foundation is teaching someone about God. Mm -hmm. And uh, they gave an example about uh, a missionary went to a tribe. Went to a tribe, and, of course, they was trying to influence them and introduce them to God, to Jesus Christ. And they would accepted, the tribe accepted them, and, and they'd accept all the things that they was given to them, you know, it looked like church. So they did all the, all the things, they sound like church, but every now and then they went right back and still do some of the things that they always have done in tradition in their system. And the point he was trying to establish was, is that in order for them to change, they have to be taught To a point, know who God is, study who God is, and then they were able to see they need a savior. And once they recognized they need a savior, that's when they turned their life over and walked away for God. So what you mentioned to, once again, it is very important for someone to get taught who God is, get that firm foundation for even so they know they need a Savior. Amen. Because we know that we see sometimes where people will say, yes, uh, I, I, that sounds good to me. I'll come up and get what, what you said and, and not have uh, a truly repentance and believing who God is and know that Jesus Christ can save you and, and, and they can own it and they will most likely will not go back in their old ways, if Amen. you understand what I'm saying. And, and that's the difference. But teaching them, showing them that they need who God is, and they know that they need Jesus as being saved.
0: Amen. That's and, the only way
2: they're going to change.
0: That's right. And, and that's why Jesus had disciples. I mean, that's the, that's the whole concept that the principle is that, hey, people got to be disciples, disciplined disciples, mean, train or taught whatever doctrine is that they're being brought up in. And without that proper training, then they won't grow. They won't know. And so that's what the that's what Bible says all about That's why we study this to our self-approved. And so here he, he, he says this. Now look, but, but even in that, like Adrian was saying, is that if you got so much stuff in you that you hadn't worked out of you, when things come up, you will fall back to what's in you instead of trusting what you've been taught. That's right. And sometimes we can get caught up in our own instincts our own way of doing things and don't want to trust God's way because when we trust God by faith, we may not see everything clear, but that's what faith is all about. We are trusting God based on what he said he would do for us. And when we put our faith in him, now he goes back to and says, now look, in verse 10, he says, you are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons and years. In other words, not only are you trying to practice circumcision, but you're trying to say you more favor God because you honor the new moon, and you have a, a, a Sabbath on the new moon, and you got all these Sabbaths, you put all these days in place, you, and, and, and you got all these Jewish festivals. Some of these things God put in place, but some of these things the rabbis and other Jewish leaders put in place. You know, in, in, the, in the old days, and I know some of y'all, too, remember when you used to get calendars from the, you know, the little... The little country store, they used to always have moons at the top of the calendar. Yeah. Yeah. You see, a quarter moon, half moon, full moon, da da da. All if you ever go to one of them old almanac type calendars, you're going to see that. Because in Judaism, the month changed when the new moon comes. And that's why the cycle, for even in the way we do it with a Julian calendar, in some months that cycle is 28 days, with some months we say 30 days, some months we say, Thirty-one days. When Judaism, they will wait until that new moon show up, and no matter what day it is, if it's the twenty-seventh day when the new moon show, it's a new month. And if you don't miss that, you don't messed up, something. So, so now we don't have to look at the moon. We just say, you know, it's December. Somebody told him it was December, so we accepted by faith. It's December. Who told you that? I learned that in school. So I would ask you right now: It's December the seventh, right? Well, it could be they. But because you trust the system that taught you that, you speak that. And that's why sometimes when we look at years and times, that's why the Jewish year is not the same as our year. If you talk to a Jew and ask them what years it is for them on the Jewish calendar, they ain't going to tell you it's two thousand. Because after all them new moons and stuff, it changed time. And that's why a lot of times when you study the Bible, it always gives you a window that this, this took place during this month because Tishri this month or this year could start here and end here, and then five years from now it'll start here and end there. And, and can you, you know, and, and that had to be tough trying to keep up with all that and, th- and tying that to your faith in God, and thinking that if I don't keep all of those days, and i miss some of those things, then God's going to hold that against me, and now I'm not going to be in that relationship that we talked about, where I'm an heir. Amen. So he's saying, now look, you, 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 you honor all these days, you have all these, you know, we just talk about the Sabbath when we talk about as far as Saturday is concerned, but there are other days that the Jews consider to be sabbatical days, you know, not just Saturday. Saturday was the, the main one, where, you know, everything's around. But they had other what they called them high days, you know. And, 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 and as these rabbis came along and created those things, those things came just as much law as what God gave Moses. And, and, and when you put all, when Jesus said, you put yokes on men that you can't even keep. You create all these things and make that a part of someone's relationship with God, and then now you can't even keep all the things that you put on people. And, and, and so he said, now look, so you got all these days. You, you got the moon and you got the season. He said, now look, I fear for you. Now, when I read that, I said, man, he's scared. he wasn't fearful as he was afraid of them. He was fearful that, man, he, that, that i may be about to lose you guys. I mean, I mean you guys from the jet on me. I mean, all this time I to put in with y'all, y'all, y'all. y'all Y'all been a jet, man. You know, I, I thought me and Major had a good relationship. He would believe in Jesus, man. Maybe just here every night. But then all of a sudden, man, Major start doing some stuff. I said, man I'm, man, I'm here for that next Wednesday. Major may not be here. Next Sunday, Major may come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I just say, I done ran across something that got me doubting. Them. Hey, Pastor, what you said about Jesus is all good. Somebody else who had? Huh? Oh, Jess, I'm sorry, I didn't, I'm didn't. i looking at major. Go ahead, Jess, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, I think a lot of times uh, what happens is uh, people try to put um, God to science versus the science to God, and then when it doesn't line up with, science doesn't line up with what God is saying, people stop believing a lot of times. So I think that's something I, I thought about when he said that in the first about the days and the months and stuff like that. Because you know people believe in, like, the Big Bang Theory, and they're like, oh, it doesn't really... Add up to what, um, what the Bible really add up to what the signs saying, but versus looking at um, what's it called, constricting the signs to what God is saying and stuff like that. So, amen. Yeah. And there have been scientists out there who have done that. They're saying and they lined up signs to court, to line up with the Bible, versus just taking you know someone else's thought and then you don't want to conflict with the Bible. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead,
2: When you was talking about little gods, it made me think about New Orleans with Mardi Gras, Mm -hmm. because if you ever go into Mardi Gras, you will see that most of the parades are named after God, like Bacchus, Endymion, Iris, Athena, all these uh, gods. Mm -hmm. And one thing about New Orleans, they love a party and how people chase all of these parades, even to the point where the city of New Orleans, 2023, they were supposed to host the Super Bowl But since the Super Bowl date lined up with Mardi Gras, they declined to have the Super Bowl and pushed it back the following year because of Mardi Gras. They did not want to give up Mardi Gras. It's just, you know, that sense of Mardi Gras means so much to the city, you know.
0: Yeah. And and, and again, these things that we bring in and we do, people do, not out of ignorance and not knowing that, you know, ain't but one true and living God. And so, therefore, anything else is an idol. But then there are people who are polytheistic that means believe in many gods. And a lot of these nations that what they were enslaved with or came and entangled with had many gods, believed in many gods, you know. And, and so he's now, again, like I said, Major, he feels like, man, God, I'm about to lose Major. He says, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. So he says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from those, from these things. For I became like you Gentiles. Now he's talking specifically to those, free from the law, Of the laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. In other words, he said, now look, man, if I had have been sticking to the law, Kiwanda, I wouldn't even came and sit down and had dinner with y'all. Because the law said a Jew shouldn't even be in the same house eating dinner with a Gentile. So he said, now look, when it came to trying to win you to Jesus, I went against the law to come to save you. And when I came to you and identified with you where you were and and, and cut through all the stuff that had nothing to do with your salvation, hey, look, you didn't mistreat me when I preached to you. I mean, you, you accepted me. So now he want to know, what's wrong? What's the change? You know, we, we were all on the same sheet of music. We, 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 we embraced one another. And then he says, he, play on their memory, surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. So Paul, this let me know too, that even the apostle Paul who could work miracles couldn't heal himself yeah. mm-hmm. at times. Yeah. Miracles is in the hand of God. And see, some think that because he had gotten sick and they knew how powerful he was, maybe some people would have held that against him. You're supposed to be the healer, and you got a cold. you supposed to be there. He said, now look, when I preached to you guys, I got sick, and y'all still didn't hold it against me when I brought the good news. He says, but even though my condition, now there have been a lot of conjecture that Paul makes uh, reference to and I don't have time to go tonight about a thorn in his flesh, and you know some people say that was what that sickness was. He don't never describe it and say exactly what it was, but there was some infirmity that most writers believe that Paul had, but he never say what it necessarily was. So there's a lot of speculation out there, and, and and don't do no good to try to, since he didn't declare it, and and a, it's almost like if I was sick with you, Major, and I came to visit you, you know what I had when I was with you. So when I write you back, I don't have to do nothing. To say well, you remember when I was sick with you? You are gonna know what I had, so I don't need to tell you. You know I had COVID when I was with you, because you don't remember, man. Man, Pastor came to visit me when he had COVID, man. I remember that. And even though you had it, I still showed him much love. And so now when I write you back and say, "Hey, look, man, when I was there, you didn't reject me." even when I brought you the gospel, and I wasn't in the best of health. He says, but even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as, look, boy, this is serious here. He says some stuff here that you just, you got to understand what he's trying to point, he's trying to make difference. He says, as though I was an angel of God or even Christ him. Man, can you imagine imagine what it would be like if somebody would just treat you like you was Jesus? You can't even wrap your mind around it. Paul said, look here. Man, y'all, you know, if someone just, you know, just, just ask yourself. If Jesus was to come to your house and you met him, how would you treat him? Right. You, you know, you have to, I'm, I'm sure to sure, you will go out of your way to make Jesus feel real special when he came to your house. I mean, you, 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 man, you know, he wouldn't have to, you're here for, you sit down, let me get this for you. Put your feet here, what you want to eat. I mean, you just wait on him. And then, you know, now you, you married, won't you do that for your husband or wife? Man, don't you know some marriages would be better if we treated our husband or wife like they was the Lord? They relate. I'm not saying making them a God, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Paul said, hey man, you you treated me as, not like he was Christ, but as if I was. Okay, okay. Make it right. If the president of the United States walk in here right now, he would be treated, we all stand up properly. Sure. Out of respect. Of course. <laughs> Depending on which one, huh? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay man <laughs> But as Christians, it shouldn't matter. It should matter. We respect the office. So therefore, if the honor is due, and so Paul said, "Man, look, you guys." He go even deeper. Now y'all got to read it. When I read this, I had to go through this a couple of times because you know Paul used some examples. Then I started thinking when he started using this proverbial language. He said, "Now look, verse 15. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? Now you're finna come at him hard. You know y'all loved me when I was sick, but all of a sudden now these false teachers don't got in your head." And now that joyful and grateful spirit is gone. He says, I am sure you would have taken your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. You you know, that's just proverbial language right there. He wasn't talking. He was just just using that to just show them how close he felt like he was to them. Kind of like if someone said, you know, people in the high, you know, we used to say, you know, man, you know, I cut off my right arm for you. You don't really mean that. But you know, you just letting that person that you close to, friend, know that's how close we are. No difference in saying we ride or die. Now, everybody who say that don't really mean that. But they say, man, we just that close. And now he's saying, look, we were just that close. And proverbially, man, it was like some of you guys would give up one of your eyes. But, you know, people do give up kidneys for people. So, so there are cases where people are willing to make that level of sacrifice so somebody else could live. Yeah. And so he was using that language to try to establish the relationship that he had with them and why could that relationship go so far to the west or the east in a different direction than when they started. He said, now look, how have I now, verse 16, have I now become your enemy? The friend of verse four, you thought I was Jesus, acted like I was Jesus, but now he got to come back and say, Have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? You know, I, I was sharing with Adrienne, she was saying, You know, one of the most famous lines I ever heard in the movie was, UK, UK yeah, that's all I remember about that movie. <laughs> and that movie got to be 20, 30 years old now. <laughs> but I just remember that line, UK, and that's a true statement. A lot of folks can't. Okay? you got to be careful when you start speaking truth mm. to people because they're going to show you just how close you are to them. That's why just because you know something to be true, you got to ask God to give you the wisdom and insight. When is the time for you to speak that truth? Mm. And you got to speak it in the right way because a lot of people say they want to hear the truth, Uh-oh. but they can't you, handle the truth. He said, all of a sudden we was tight major. And you know, some of y'all got very, very close friends, and you say, we tight, and y'all tell each other, hey, you can always correct me when I'm wrong. We, we like that. Don't let me, they don't really mean it all the time. They just saying that right now because they did nothing wrong. And they ain't doing nothing they, they want to do. But the minute you hold them to that and say, hey, well, you told me I could do this, well, look here, I ain't really mean it, like okay. I ain't mean it like that. I ain't mean it like that. I ain't mean for you to get in my business like that. You told me, you want me to be able to tell you to? I, you know, I used to tease, you know, when I used to do marriage counseling, I used to tell a couple, man, you got to be careful. Mm-hmm. If you want the truth, you got to be ready for the truth. Because in most relationships, most people never show all their cards. There's always something that you just don't. But you don't matter her or him now anyway. And you may not want to know. But if you do ask the question, will you tell me to... You got to be able to... But I'm just talking about relationship now. When we talk about open honesty and all those keywords words, and we talk about a Christian thrive sometimes truth can mess some things. Go ahead, make get a mic.
1: My... <laughs> I spent all this time presenting to you a guy that I wanted you to believe that I was. Uh-huh. So that's all you know about me. So when I ask you, hey, give me give me the truth. And you tell me something contrary to what I've been trying to present all these years?
0: That's tough. Whether it's the truth or not, that's tough. <laughs> well, you tell me, maybe, you may not be able to handle. <laughs> you may not be able to handle that truth. Sometimes,
4: <laughs> Pastor, sometimes people too willing to tell you stuff that they are not willing to listen to. Ooh. So that can be very contrary to what people Talking about being real.
0: <laughs> you know, and again, I think everybody's got a unique relationship. Yes. But I guarantee, you, you know, like I say, when I tell people all the time, the people you the person you date for the most part and the person you marry gonna be two different people. Different people. <laughs> because the relationship when we dating, I ain't trying to put bad me out there. I'm going to show you the best face. I'm going to show you all the good things I do. I ain't going to show you that i don't pick up my clothes after myself and I'm, you know, I'm like this. I ain't going to show you that up front. <laughs> you know, I ain't going to show you all that. <laughs> you know, uh, while I'm dating you, my car going to be clean when I come pick you up and all that. Ain't gonna be no french fries all over the season. I'm like, can we date? I'm trying to put my best foot forward. <laughs> but then now that we married, they never put the top back on the toothpaste. Oh, really? I mean, I, I, that, 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 what, what's, I'm going to use it again tonight, so what's, what's the big deal about it? <laughs> and I use that as an example, but, but, but that's why I tell people, when you're going to enter into a relationship like that, you don't enter in unwisely. You need to check folks out thoroughly and ask those tough questions up front and see what they're answering. If you got some concern, don't just go in assuming blindly Think, you know, And then all of a sudden, now after you say I do, and you want to ask all the tough questions, now you can't handle the questions. Uh-oh. No, that's you're wrong now. You, you, to death do us. Because Uh-oh. Uh-oh. you done made a vow. And your vow override. Amen. Amen. Pastor,
4: the worst thing you do in life is ask somebody a question over the phone. A serious question never out of a phone. you got to ask them face-to-face to look and the expression of the face to tell what they're really talking about or answering you about.
0: Amen. Amen. You know, it, you know, I, I, out of eye contact, you know, but now people don't got away from that. They just believe what they read online. And people out there putting pictures out there that ain't representing who they are. I know no Christian would do that. A Christian would be up front, you know. But, but I'm pretty sure on... ChristianDate.com, some people don't got hoodwinked, on Christian website, thinking they're talking to a Christian that's telling them the truth about themselves, and then until they find out that, man, that, that person been feeding me these lies, I've been looking at these pictures, all day. I've been looking at them, these lies, lies. Because we're not trying to discern when people are telling us things that we want to hear. But when we start dealing with people telling us the truth about something that we don't want to hear, then that's
2: when attitudes can change. Brother Herb? Um, I think you preached about it. Uh, you said the three things. You said you got to get the knowledge, you got to get the understanding, and then you come wisdom. And uh, there was a, uh, uh, another, what you just got to say and get to know someone, is the key in standing, you know, when you say, I, you know, I love you, Said, love ain't, love ain't gonna last. It won't work. So he said, don't go in saying love. Get the knowledge, get the understanding, then you'll be able to, w- won't have no, no, uh, no, no surprises. That's the point the, the individual was trying to establish. Know the individual, understand then you can be able to have a long-lasting a long relationship. Amen. And Amen. So I, I, I kind of agree with that.
0: Amen. So now look at this, verse 17. I'm going to speed this up so we can finish. So I'm just going to read and I'll stop a little bit. He says now, now you go back to the root of the problem, the false prophets, the false teachers. And he says this, those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. You know, there's a thing that I tell people in, in, in marriage and, and in relationship, be careful, especially if you come from a good family, you and your brother and sister, all y'all get along, y'all, I mean, y'all kind of tight like that, and you marry somebody who don't want you to be around your folks and try to keep you from your folks and making you trying to see things about your folks, be careful when people try to isolate you from your family. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you, they may have issues with your brother and your sister and all that, but when they're trying to isolate you from your family and you know you came from a good family and your brother and sister love you, I tell you, be careful. Mm-hmm. Because some people will isolate you and then now because they don't want... See, family ain't going to look at him or her like you look at yeah. Family going to look at them with a different set of eyes and they're going to see all that stuff you look over. You see it, but you don't want to acknowledge it, you know how to do that. Yeah. Well, family, what's a man? Look at this. Oh. Ooh. Mm-hmm. You know you don't even need to be around your brothers yeah. like that no more. They even talk to them. Because they always trying to. Well, wait a minute. Me and my brother been tight, man. Them dudes have never led me astray. They always try to give me good advice. Right. See, that's what the enemy does. He wants to isolate you. Mm-hmm. And if I can cut you off from the body then now I can get you by yourself and then take advantage of okay. So he said, now look, be careful of these false teachers, man, because they're they really trying to separate you from me. He said, now look. He says, oh, dear brothers and, oh, oh my dear children, I am in mean, verse 19, I feel as if I was going through labor pains for you again. Now, you got to get this, he's making a reference all the way to having a baby again because mm-hmm. he gave birth to this church. He said, now look, man, I'm hurting so bad like I was hurting when y'all came out the womb. And they will continue until Christ fully developed your life. They're going to keep coming at you because they know you're immature, going back to that mindset of children who are not old enough or not of age to know the truth. He said, I wish I were there with you right now so that I could change my tone. But at this time, at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. You know where I got to I got to come at you hard because I ain't there. If I was there with you, and I could put my arms around you, but right now I'm writing to you through a letter, so I got to be as forceful as I can in this letter. Because, again, I'm on the verge of losing you guys. Then he started, now he going to an allegorical thing by comparing Abraham, and I don't, I'm going to give you some scripture you can read to kind of make some sense out of this because this gets pretty deep, and that's why I tell people you can't just be a New Testament Christian because if you, all you know is the New Testament you wouldn't understand what everything he's about to say right now. You wouldn't have a clue. It wouldn't make no sense to you. But if you have some understanding of the Old Testament, especially the relationship that Abraham and Sarah had with God and how Hagar got in the mix. So look at this. He he used the example of two children, and he's using the example to compare one to the law and one to grace. One when they were in bondage and one that was a free. So that's the only concept I want you to try to remember and, we'll, and I'll talk briefly about the names. So he said, now look, tell me, verse 21, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? In other words, you don't even know half of the stuff that's in Genesis, Exodus, other videos, because I'm going to do the run. And you're talking about you want to go back and live under that? You don't even know half of what it says. See? And then he says, now look. The scripture says that, and this is in Genesis chapter 16, verse 15, and you'll see some of this in Genesis 21, 2 and 3. The scripture says that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The slave wife's name was what, Hagar? Her son's name was what? Ishmael. Ishmael. And he was born first, and he was born about 13 or 14 years before Isaac. So when Isaac came on the scene, Ishmael was already a teenager stroking around like, hey, I'm the man. I'm the firstborn. His mama was said to have I'm firstborn. And when Isaac came along, he started harassing the son of promise. Now the reason Isaac was considered the son of promise, because that's what Abraham had, God had promised Abraham and Sarah. Y'all going to have a son. But they didn't trust him for the promise. They got ahead of him, and that's why Ishmael is called the son of the f- flesh. Because He was not born out of Sarah. The son of promise came from a 90-something-year-old woman which let her know that God did the miraculous when he was born to be the son of promise. They just couldn't wait. God had made that promise to them years before, almost 20 years before he made that promise. They got tired of waiting on God. And obviously, Abraham wasn't as dead as he told himself. Amen! Because he had Ishmael. Then he got Isaac, and then after Sarah died, he went and had seven more sons. So obviously that was him telling himself that and believing her because they didn't trust God. They didn't trust God. This is an interesting story. You got to read it, man, because it, it's full of drama. But it's in Genesis. He says, now, so the Scripture said, Abraham had two sons, one by his slave wife, one from his freeborn wife. Now, do. The son of the slave wife was born... In a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. In other words, instead of Sarah trusting God and, and, and Abraham trusting God, Sarah said, look here, let me help God. You go and get my handmaid. She's younger. You know, you still got some firepower. So you go and, and get with her and y'all have a son. That way you'll have an heir. But God had promised him that. But the promise didn't come when they wanted it to come. And sometimes when God don't give us something that we've been asking for and he, we think he promised us, we get ahead of him sometimes and we end up with our Ishmael in our lives. Because mm-hmm. we done gave birth to something that God did not tell us to give birth to. Okay. But anyway, he said, now look, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Talking about Isaac. He says these two women are an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represented the covenant that Moses gave on Mount Sinai where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, which is the peninsula of Arabia, because her children live in slavery to the law. talking about the Jews now who are living in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was considered the holy city. He said, now those Jews who are living there are living like they are children of the slave one instead of the children of the Free woman, because they are still embracing the law of Mount Sinai instead of embracing this new covenant that I don't put in place through my son. Amen. He said, now, but the other woman, Sarah, represent the heavenly Jerusalem, you know, spiritual concept, and then the Jerusalem that God has put in place. He said, now, look, and she, she is the free woman, and she is, our, now, she said our mother. Bringing these Gentiles and Jews into that same relationship because last week we learned that we are heirs because of Abraham's seed. And so now he's tying all that together. So if you remember from last week, and then he says, As Isaac said, rejoice, as Isaiah said, rejoice, O O childless woman who have never been given birth, who has never given birth, break into joy for shouts. You who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman has now more children than the woman who lives with her husband. He was now alluding to, hey, the Jews, because they didn't accept this, now all these Gentiles that have come into the faith are children, and they outnumber the ones who should have accepted this first. And he says, now look, and you, dear brothers and sisters, are the children of the promise, just as Isaac. Now, I want to say this real quick. Even though when, when uh, uh, Ishmael got beside himself and started making fun of little Isaac, you know, uh, Sarah said, hey, the boy got to go. You know, because now we got a son, the boy got to go, and mama too. And Abraham, the Bible said Abraham really labored over that thing because he loved the boy. That was his son. He didn't want to kick him out. But guess what, women? Mm-hmm. If you just trust God, most of the time, a man will do what you want him to do. This man kicked out the boy and his mama. Sent him on a journey. And they thinking they're going to die, but God looked out for him. Now, if God could have just squashed all this stuff we got going day just let them go and die in the wilderness. But God does say, look, man, look at I know what happened to you. I'm going to still look out for you. You ain't the son of promise, but I'm going to look out for you. I'm going to show you some mercy, too. The problem was, those folk now, because they got a little that mercy, they think they got the promise, too, mm-hmm. and better than the natural born son. But the point I'm trying to make is that God sees things different than we do. He saw their suffering when Abraham kicked them out. And Ishmael ended up with 12 sons, too. That's ironic. And he got 12 sons. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob got 12 sons. And then Abraham married Keturah after Sarah died and gets seven most sons. So Abraham got a whole lot of natural seed in the earth. And so when you read that and go back and understand that Old Testament, you can see now why he's trying to draw these lines to say one represent the Old Covenant, one represent the New Covenant. He says, but now you are being persecuted by those who want to keep you under the law, just as Ishmael, the child born of human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit, because, you know, it was a miracle when Sarah got pregnant at that age, and Abraham, they had the baby. So then verse 30 says, but, the, but what does the scripture say about that? Get rid of your slave and her son. That's what Sarah said. For the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the freeborn son. So Sarah spoke. That's in Genesis 21. But you got to read not just 21 in that one verse. You got to read 21 and make a note and read 10 through 21. And you can see the whole picture of Abraham. Sarah obeyed Abraham. Abraham obeyed Sarah, but in the meantime, God did look out for Ishmael. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of slave women. We are children of the free woman. And that's how we got to see ourselves as Christians. We are are now, because of God's grace and his mercy to order, we are not slaves to the rituals of the law. All those things they was talking about and we've been reading about here. We don't have to go through those things to get into that relationship with God. Jesus fulfilled the law so we wouldn't have to try to keep all those things that we just weren't going to do. You know, weren't going to do. Any questions? Any questions? Again, go back and read those ch- chapter 21 of Genesis. I think you'll be, be uh, uh, blessed by just kind of getting the, that, that picture of how that situation played out. And, and, and again, now, and I'm going to close with this. After Abraham did Still did that, God still considered him the father of the faith. When the writer wrote Hebrews chapter eleven, Abraham is right in there, like he ain't never made no mistake, like he been believing God all his life. God didn't hold that mistake against him. Amen. Uh huh.
4: My understanding is that the Jews are waiting for a Messiah that is not Jesus. Them say he's not a, a, a Christian, he's not a, you know, he's just a man, and then building the temple and waiting for him to come, and this, and, so they are waiting for the Antichrist.
0: Well, I don't know who they're waiting for. They're I, I not waiting understand. for
4: Jesus if, he, if he's not. They,
0: they, they still believe that the Messiah is yet to come. They don't think that Jesus was the Messiah. So when you but study. But them said
4: that him is not divine.
0: Huh?
4: They said it, the, the man that they're waiting at is not divine, is not, is not a, a Christian, like a
0: spiritual man. And that's what they say in Judaism? Yes, I, and, and they're building I, I, a,
4: ta- a temple waiting. They, they're waiting for the temple to be built because they, they claim that the temple got to be there in order for them to worship.
0: Now, they again, need this
4: temple to worship. And
0: that so. may be true. I, like I said, don't, I, don't, I haven't studied enough about what the Jews are believing or waiting on. I just know they rejected who we consider to be the Messiah. They, they rejected do. him, and because they rejected him, you know, they, uh, you know the Gentiles are steady coming in. Some of them uh, have not rejected. Now, there's a lot of uh, thought out there that God is, you know, I think we saw that when we were doing Romans or one of the other books major, where we say God is using us as a a tool to bring them back to him. Letting us come in. They can see us coming in, all these Gentiles coming in, and then now hopefully they'll wake up and say, hey, maybe we need to get on board. Okay? All right. A couple of announcements.